Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We've been laying a foundation for revival. And revival is a healthy church, is what it really is. A church like the New Testament, a church like the people in the book of Acts. And uh, that's what we want to become. First of all, we talked about how to be born again. And we said that being born again is not simply being positive about Jesus, sort of vaguely asking Jesus even into your heart. That won't do it. it it's, that's, a, that's a very positive thing to say to God, but it's not sufficient for the miracle of the new birth. What are the issues that have to be engaged? One, you have to see your own sin. And that's a miracle of the Holy Spirit because most of us have justified everything we do in our own minds or blamed our mothers for it. And so we feel victims, we feel innocent, we feel it's someone else's fault. And so when you and I actually can see, I mean really see, our own sin, that's a miracle. And once that's happened, you're already halfway to, halfway to the kingdom. God is drawing you and opening your eyes. The second thing we have to see is the power of Jesus Christ to forgive us. The cross, it becomes real to us. And we don't just believe in him like we believe in an historical figure, but we believe in him with, a, with, a, with an aggressive outreach where we put our arms around Jesus and we cling to him. He becomes our savior. He died for our sins, and we trust him with all our heart. And then there's one other element, and this is the one that's so often left out, and that is that we must sell all and lay down our lives and follow him. He's clear about that. And in that point, when those three are engaged in a person's heart, the new birth takes place. The new birth is a miracle. The Holy Spirit literally comes and he joins himself. He inf you are infused, as it were, filled with the Holy Spirit. And he joins yourself, himself to your spirit, and your spirit is whom I'm talking to right now. You are spirit. And so the real you, the essential you, he joins himself to you in a bond, I think, is like a husband and wife, where they become one flesh. The spirit joins himself and becomes one flesh, as it were, with you, and you, Jesus says, Father, I pray that they be one even as you and I are one. There's, there's this coming together now so that we are full of the Holy Spirit who brings us the Father and Christ. All are in us. That's the new birth. That's powerful. Water baptism, we realize that in water baptism we make our, our pledge of our discipleship. There's a number of things we say, but we declare who we are. Jesus says, you cannot come to him and be a secret Christian. He said, if anyone denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father, which is in heaven. If you declare me before men, I'll declare you before my Father, which is in heaven. We need to take that. I don't know how he would have said it any more bluntly or any more clearly. We must not be ashamed of him. We must declare our walk with him. And so in water baptism, it's a beginning. You stand in front of family and friends in the church, and you say, I belong to Christ. From this moment forward, I am his disciple. We give ourselves to Christ. Very important, very powerful. I watch the transforming power of water baptism on people. There's something, it's just like, 
I don't know, eyes light up. It's a very wonderful moment. We talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I said that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is not the same thing as the new birth. In the new birth, the Holy Spirit joins himself to you. You become a living person, joined to God, you're alive. But in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are anointed like a priest for ministry. The power of God comes over you for New Testament ministry. What is New Testament ministry? New Testament ministry is ministering in the same power and the same fashion as Jesus ministered. How did he minister? He says, he says I only do what I see the Father do. I speak what I hear the Father speak. So the Lord Jesus, though he was the second person of the Trinity, when he became a man, he laid aside his privileges of divinity and he became one of us. In doing so, when, he, when we see him minister and walk the shores of, of the Sea of Galilee and raise the dead and heal lepers and, and do all that he did, he was doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit, not his own power. In fact, the temptation in the wilderness was the devil trying to get him to step out of that role. He said, are you hungry? Have the bread turn, stone turn into bread. Now, the Holy Spirit hadn't, wasn't doing that. The Father hadn't told him to turn it into bread. So he would have been acting in the power of the second person of the Trinity, and he could have done it on the spot. Had he done so, he would no longer have been our sacrifice. It was a very dangerous moment. He was refusing all of his powers of divinity, and he was becoming one of us that he might die for us. Hallelujah. All right, now that's the power that we're to minister in. The same power, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, it's better that I go to the Father. Because if I go to the Father, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And greater works shall you all, collectively, do than I've been doing. Because now there's going to be millions of you moving as I've moved. You're going to follow the lead of the Spirit. You're going to move in the power of the Spirit. You're going to do what you see the Father do and speak what you hear the Father speak. And as you do that, with me as the head and you as my body, there will now be millions of you ministering my power and my life, my love, my grace to people all over the planet. And, we're, and that will swell and swell and swell until the entire earth has heard the gospel and then the end shall come. That's the process. That's what we're in right now. May I just say something? It is essential that you move in the power of the Holy Spirit. People are dying for a lack of a touch of God. People are dying for the lack of a touch of God. And if you deny it, if you refuse it, if you simply say, I don't want to mess with this, there will be people who will suffer, who will be sick, who will be possibly lost the whole nine yards because you and I have chosen not to walk in the anointing God has for us. Let me give you an example. Somebody shared this with me just the other day. A teacher was in a, uh, a very difficult situation. A student began to have some sort of convulsion. It was, I don't think it was a physical thing. I think it was an emotional thing in the classroom. It was quite dangerous, I gather. She could not get the student out of the room. You know, he, he wouldn't do anything. He was just wild, I guess. I don't, she didn't describe in detail for me. So she said, frankly, I began to speak in tongues under my breath. You know, just... She's going to it and just praying. And then she said, as I did that, she said, I suddenly 
had a sense that this boy wanted to kill himself. So she said, I then went over to him and I said, so and so, come out of the room. In the past, before this, he had not obeyed her at all, totally ignored her. He followed her out of the room. She took him down to the counselor or wherever. She, she then got on the phone to the mother and she said, I don't know how to tell you this, but I had this strong sense that your son wants to kill himself. And the mother just burst in tears on the other end of the room, phone and said, last night he said, I'd like to kill myself. Now, would you notice how God is gonna save that boy's life? Has exposed the plan, brought it out. He's now getting care. That woman, that sister of ours, as she moved in the spirit, got a word of knowledge. And that word of knowledge exposed a plan of hell to kill that boy. Now that plan is now exposed to the light and is being cared for and he's being reached out to. And, I'll, and I'm, I, I'm sure because the Lord's done this, he's gonna save the boy's life and the boy's gonna have a great life. Who knows he'll get saved one of these days and be a powerful who knows what. There are people for whom the plans of hell are set but as you begin to move in the spirit, as you begin to just do what God tells you to do, she was sort of frustrated with herself. I said, I should have done it sooner. I thought, yeah, like any one of us would. You, you just, you did great. She just was quietly in the spirit, got the thing, and moved on it. This is what I mean when I say people are waiting for you. People need you. People are dying. People are lost. They're confused. They're addicted. They're demonized. And they desperately need the people of God to come in the power of the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to talk about speaking in tongues. And don't get scared. I'm not going to do anything to you. But I'm going to talk about speaking in tongues. And I want you to see it as a connection to the gifts of the Spirit. And we're going to understand this. Because when I talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit the other day, I said the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not speaking in tongues. And I want to make that real clear. The baptism of the Spirit is not speaking in tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's that power of God coming upon you and anointing you for ministry. The real sign of it is supernaturally fruitful ministry. It opens up the gifts. Things begin to move. However, every person who is baptized in the Holy Spirit is given the capacity to pray in tongues. Whether you have or have not, you can. And so I want to show you the purpose of it, what it's for, how it works, and how it affects our walking in the Spirit today. Father, come now and open our spiritual eyes. We would be a New Testament church. We would move in the Spirit. We would let you guide us and reach out to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Here we go. What is the relationship between speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit? When we observe people being baptized with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, the gifts often mentioned as immediately accompanying this, this experience are speaking in tongues and prophecy. When these early Christians encountered the power of the Spirit, they burst out in inspired speech, giving praise and thanks to God. Furthermore, the Apostle Paul clearly expected those who had received this baptism uh, 
to be able to pray in tongues, and for that matter, to be able to prophesy and express any of the gifts the Spirit chooses to distribute to them. What is speaking in tongues? Speaking in tongues is the ability to pray and praise God using languages we have never learned. It's the ability to pray and praise God using languages we have never learned. This gift is primarily intended to be used as part of our private prayer life. However, at times the Holy Spirit may prompt someone to speak in tongues in a church service with the intention that the whole service stop and listen to it. Let me stop there and just give an, give an example. You say, what is the value of speaking a language I don't know? I mean, why would I want to do that? Why would God even want me to do that? What's wrong with speaking in my own language? What happens when you speak in tongues is the Holy Spirit prays through you in a language that bypasses your mind because you don't know what you're saying. He is committed to giving you the right prayer or the whole praise that you ought to, ought to be speaking. In Romans 8, Paul says, We know not how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for the saints with groanings or sighs, probably referring to tongues, too deep for words. The Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to pray? If you haven't, you haven't been around much. <laughs> you, haven't, you certainly haven't ministered much. Because one of the things you'll find as you begin to serve the Lord, if nothing else, is there's times when you're overwhelmed by the problem. Where, the, where the, you can, the, 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 the darkness and the assault and the trouble is so strong. You know, you come up to it and there's not an ounce of faith in your little body to pray for this thing and you feel overwhelmed. How many say, I've been there, I know exactly. Amen? Yes. Let me give you an example of this. Years ago, when I, actually when I was a seminary, I started out at a Lutheran seminary in St. Paul, and one of my classmates, uh, I was able to lead to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and not long after that, he said, uh, my Uncle Bob is in, uh, dying in, 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 the, in the veterans hospital, or he's sick in the veterans hospital, would you come with me and pray for him? I said, sure. And so we went to the big old veterans, big old huge hospital in, in St. Paul and went way up on some floor and, and uh, walked into Uncle Bob's room. He said, I don't know Uncle Bob real well, but I, I just feel I should pray for him. So we walked in, and I'm kind of blithely coming along and just to help and all of that. And when I walked in that room, Uncle Bob was dying of liver cancer, and he was in the last stages of it. I don't know if you've seen that, but it is uh, quite a terrible sight. I was just stopped in my tracks. Uh, I won't describe it, but it was overwhelming. He was in a coma. He wasn't with us at all. And there we were to pray for him. Yeah, right. And so we, and, and my, my friend Carrie, he, he felt the same way. He, we just stood and stared a little bit. And he said, what do we do? Because he didn't know his uncle was in this condition. And I said, um, why don't we pray in the Spirit? And my friend had just recently learned how to do that. And uh, so we began to pray, both of us, just standing there in the Spirit, because we didn't know what to pray. 
and we needed divine help. How long did we do it? I don't know, maybe five or 10 minutes. It was a while, because we didn't know what to do. We just stood there, and then something really odd happened. There came a presence of God in the room, and all of a sudden, I mean all of a sudden, Uncle Bob looks like he's totally brain dead is what he looks like. And all of a sudden, Uncle Bob opens his eyes and looks straight at us as lucid as you and I are right now. In fact, I was embarrassed because I'm standing there. I was right in front of him. And he opened and looked at me like, so what are you doing in my room? And I said, I'm with him. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with, with him. He's your nephew. I'm just here praying for you. <laughs> because suddenly we, it's like we were caught flat-footed in this guy's room, you know. And he looked over at, at Carrie and Carrie said, Uncle Bob, it's me, your nephew Carrie. And, and he began to talk to him a little bit. And Uncle Bob wasn't talk, couldn't talk, but he was fully tracking and listening to the whole thing. And, and Carrie said, uh, Uncle Bob, we've come to tell you about Jesus. And I just want to tell you, would you, would you, would you like that? And Uncle Bob indicated he would. And so he told him of the gospel. And, and then he said, now, Uncle Bob, I'd like to lead you in prayer to receive Jesus Christ. And so he prayed through the prayer to receive the Lord. And then he said, Uncle Bob, have, have you prayed that with us? And Uncle Bob nodded that he had, you know, and, and uh, you could even see his eyes moistening and the whole thing. And then uh, and Carrie began to talk to him for, for, for just a second, and, but he went right back out into that coma again. We uh, walked out, and then a few hours later, my friend called me and said, Uncle Bob just died. Now what happened there? What happened there? As we went into the spirit, the Lord woke him up and gave him the strength to hear, received Christ, was born again, his eternity was changed in an instant, and then the Lord took him home and got him out of his pain. How do you do that? When we walked in, we were, we were going to just pray for Uncle Bob, you know. But when you move in the Spirit, that's when stuff really begins to happen. It seems to awaken this process of the Spirit. If you say, I don't know, I wouldn't need a prayer in another language. Let me tell you Why? Your mind won't let you pray the kind of faith prayers the Holy Spirit will pray without you. If you heard what you were saying, you would censor it. You'd edit it. If you heard the passionate love you're pouring out to God, you wouldn't, you'd be embarrassed and you wouldn't say it. If you heard the way you're taking a stand in faith, if you heard the depth of confession of your sins which were pouring out, you would be embarrassed and you would censor them. Now, here's the wonder of it all. The Holy Spirit prays these prayers, but when God hears them, he is, takes it as though you prayed it knowing what you were praying. That's because you and the Spirit have become joined as one flesh, as it were. You are joined together and so as he prays on your behalf, the Lord accepts it as yours. And so he hears you and he says, 
Listen to that tower of power down there. Steve Shell is just on fire, you know, and I'm done here. And he says, listen to him pour out love to me. And the anointing comes accordingly. The power of God comes accordingly as though I had meant every word I said, though I don't know a word I said. It's a gift. It's an important gift, and it's why it's connected with the power of the Holy Spirit. He literally has taken our weaknesses and our frailties and given us a tool to cope with them. Is speaking in tongues a gift for every believer? To answer this question, we properly need to distinguish between two different uses of this gift. The first use of tongues is as a divinely assisted form of prayer and praise meant to strengthen an individual believer's spirit. In this case, the answer is yes. God wants all believers to be helped by this precious gift. However, Paul is equally clear that the gift has a different purpose when used in a gathered meeting. In that case, the Holy Spirit will specifically prompt someone to speak in a tongue with the intention that it be interpreted so all in the gathering will be edified. This use of tongues seems to fall into the category of ministry so that certain individuals are particularly used in this way while others are not. So the answer to the question above is yes and no. Yes, all are free to pray in the Spirit. No, the Spirit chooses who and when he wants a ministry of tongues in a service. You say, what advantage would it be to have someone speak in another language in a service? Well, it would be of none unless it were interpreted. And that Paul says, and now we're talking about the ministry. This isn't the private prayer life. Paul says, when we're in a gathering like this, that when I speak in tongues, I should speak to myself, meaning keep it under your breath, keep it kind of quiet and to yourself. Don't dominate, don't break out into the consciousness of the whole assembly. But on occasion, the Holy Spirit will touch someone and say, I want now, I want you to pray in, uh, in tongues. You say, what is the advantage? Well, imagine this with me. Imagine someone, then once the interpretation comes, imagine someone praising and worshiping with abandon, spontaneously from the heart, spirit-led and spirit-empowered in their adoration, their thanksgiving, their blessing of God. All of those things are specifically mentioned by Paul as what tongues is in 1 Corinthians 14. I give you the references. Imagine that. Now, I, ha I believe actually some people are empowered for that and gifted for that. I had a, 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 a man in my congregation in another place uh, years ago who had such a gift. And, and every so often he would, he, this, this would happen. Sometimes I would just point, turn to him and say, would you please just pray freely from your heart? And he would turn him, his heart and just begin to spontaneously pour out this sweet love and glory to the Lord. And as he did, I mean, people would be moved to tears and this, you know, this presence of God would be stirred. There's a real place for it. It's a beautiful thing. Interpreted tongues will largely sound like the Psalms. There'll be, it's where the Holy Spirit just empowers and raises this glory over, over the church. So Paul says no more than two or three should happen in an assembly, but it, and it should be done decently in order when it's like that. Uh, 
But, it's, but it is a ministry for the church, a very edifying and a very beautiful ministry uh, for the church. What are the benefits of praying in the Spirit? According to Scripture, there are several benefits a believer gains when using speaking in tongues in their private prayer and worship. First of all, the Holy Spirit helps us pray and praise beyond our limitations of our natural mind. This I've already explained. Since none of us really knows what we ought to say to God, this is a very valuable assistance. By inspiring us to speak words we do not understand, he speaks through our lips the words God wants to hear from us. At moments when we're weak or confused, the Spirit can speak for us, and amazingly, God accepts the words as though they originated from us and answers us accordingly. Number two, this gift also builds our faith. In Jude, verse 20, we're told that praying in the Spirit will build us up in our most holy faith. Paul says a person who speaks in a tongue edifies. That word means in the Greek, build up. Builds up himself. So in those moments when we're praying, preparing to serve God, or are under attack, this gift will help strengthen us to move boldly and, will be con- and be confident of God's promises. You're often caught flat-footed when you're going to minister. The needs suddenly arise. The needs are there. But even when you're not caught flat-footed, when you're going to do any sort of ministry, I find one of the things I do to prepare myself is to quietly go into tongues. I begin to pray. Here's an example of uh, just when you need help. A number of years ago, we were back in Minneapolis, and uh, we have Mary's brothers are there, and, and they, we have a, a, group, a bunch of nephews, no nieces, all nephews. And... Uh, we had all, we'd gone to a sporting goods store, one of these big ones, you know, where they have a rock wall you can climb and all of this kind of thing. And uh, all the nephews were over at the rock wall and I went over to watch and see that we all came down in one piece. And, and um, at some point they said, Uncle Steve, why don't you climb the rock wall? Uh, and then Andrew piped in, yeah, Dad, you can do it. Well, when my manhood is at stake, I'm going up the wall, you know. (laughs) I did not want to do this. But in order to prove the man that I truly was, I I took the next to the hardest route. Now, there was about five routes up this thing, and I took the next to the hardest. Right on. Never, Never been up a rock wall in my life. But I am a man. And I had these little rubber booties they put on you or whatever, and then they put you in this harness with a rope on the back, you know, and the whole nine yards. And up I went. And I I got about 15 feet up, I would say. I was on a tough one where they have fewer little plastic nubbins to hang on to, you know. And then ours had a ledge you had to actually swing out around and get over. Why I did this, I don't know. (laughs) Now, my head knows that I'm attached to a rope, and he's holding the other end of the rope, and I won't hit but my body doesn't know this. And I, I got about 15 feet up and I began to sweat in my palms. And I realized, whoa, I'm up here. And then there was that little trembling that came in. I thought, oh, I hope they can't see that. <laughs> and I felt weak. You know, and, I, and you begin to feel like your hands are going to go and you can't hold this. Well, you'll forgive me, but I'm an old Pentecostal. <laughs> so right now I shift gears. Kiss. <laughs> I'm into tongues. 
this is what I do. I don't even think about it. I downshift. I need help now. <laughs> That's what that means. It works too. Huh? And all of a sudden, I get this strength going up. And, and there was a point where I, you literally had to let go and hang on by one hand alone and swing up and grab another thing. And I did it. And I went around the edge and I got all the way to the top and ding, 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 ding. I rang the bell. Then the guy says, jump. I said, no way. Jump down there. I got to the bottom and Andrew said, Dad, we could hear you. <laughs> Building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. It builds our faith. It lifts us. It strengthens us. It's given to us in emergencies. It's given, it, that, that, that flow is there. And you, you come to rely on it. You ever been called in the middle of the night to pray for somebody? That's one of the things that goes with pastoring. Now, I haven't done a lot of it as, as much lately on occasion, but not very often used to be a staple of life. Well, two in the morning, two in the morning, so you'll get the phone call and it's usually like this, Pastor, I'm so sorry to call you in the middle of the night. We've just had an auto accident and we're here at the emergency room at such and such a hospital. Um, I, I don't, we don't want you to come down or anything. We know you're, you're so busy, but would you just pray for us right now? I always say, well, where are you? I'll, I'll be there. Um, just, and, I'll, and then I pray, and then I throw on some clothes, I jump in the car, and then from the moment I head out my driveway to the moment I pull in to the hospital, what am I doing? I'm praying. Because I've got no faith, I can't think straight, I got nothing, but I'm going to need in a moment the power of God. I'm going to need faith. This family is in agony. This family is, a, you know, is in, a, in a situation. I've got to minister to them, and I have nothing in myself. When you feel that enormous personal weakness, that's an alert to now pray in the Spirit and let God give you the strength to do what you have to do. And He will. This is what this gift is for. It's a great assistance to us. According to Ephesians 5.18, this type of prayer is one way to refresh the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Everyday life can drain us of the consciousness of God's presence, but tongues help us be filled with the Spirit again and again in your personal devotions and refreshing. Fourthly, this gift seems to release the flow of the other gifts of the Spirit. I want you to notice that. For some reason, this gift turns the key that seems to release the other gifts. As you pray in the Spirit, you begin to have the leading of the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the, 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 the prophetic words can be released. It isn't, I'm not saying without it you can't minister in the other gifts, but I'm saying it seems to awaken them. This, the sister who just shared with me about the school situation said, oddly enough, when I began to speak in the Spirit, that's when I got the discernment about the student. Of course, that's the way it tends to work. As you open that, it's like awakening your spirit, opening your, the ears of your spirit. Ministry in the Spirit requires a person to respond to God at an inner 
intuitive level rather than just a rational level. In other words, we learn to listen and follow the tender inner leadings of the Spirit rather than just the reasonings of our own mind. This is important to get a hold of. Remember how Jesus said he ministered? He said, I only do what I see the Father do. Well, how did he see the Father doing things? I only speak what I hear the Father speak. How did he hear the Father speak? He was listening and following the leadings of the Holy Spirit. Now, we naturally guide our lives rationally using our minds. We use deductive reasoning. We assess the situation. We make conscious decisions about what we will do out of policy and principle. That's a right way to do things. There's nothing wrong with that. That is normal way of living. However, however, as we move into New Testament ministry, there has to be another level of listening and seeing that goes on. You shift into also an intuitive level so that spontaneously there become this awareness, this sense, uh, this voice that you don't hear with your audible ears, but you somehow hear in your spirit, and it's very real. The Lord telling you to do this. The Lord showing you the next step to take. The Lord showing you things happening. You don't see them physically, but you do see them. You do see them. It's a, it's an, may, I may sound like double talk, but as it happens to you, you don't know what I mean. How many already know what I mean? Yeah. It's, this is with spiritual eyes. Now, I want you to know, some people come by this very easily, and some people have it, find it very hard. It's almost genetic, the ease of it. What I mean by this, the way I've seen this is because some people, even before they're, before they're born again, are spiritual. Even before they're born again, they're encountering and sensing things in the whole spiritual realm. Other people, after they're born again, the whole thing, they still find it hard. It just seems to come stiffly in, in a difficult, difficult way. You are not substandard because you are, it comes hard, you are not especially loved of God because you're sensitive. All of us can move in the spirit. It just takes a, a choice, a willingness to do so. And so if it's difficult for you, don't simply say, well, I'm not one of those hyper-spiritual people. This isn't hyper-spirituality. You are spirit. Spirit, thing, things of the spirit are really very natural. My, get, my assumption right now is that there isn't a person in the room whom God hasn't talked to and shown things. The only issue is, do you know it? Did you recognize it was him? Did you know which voice was which? That becomes the real art in this, as it were. Knowing which is God, which is me, which is indigestion, you know. You, you have to kind of learn to discern those things. Let me give you an illustration of this. A number of years ago, I was uh, taking a, a class at Fuller Seminary, and, and it was a group of pastors and... and uh, we had a, a spirit-filled Anglican named David Watson was our teacher, and, and uh, we had been grouped into a, uh, circles to pray for each other. It was one of those things, and, and we were around tables, and I, I was at a table with, with three other pastors, and, and across from the table from me, directly across, was a Presbyterian from Flint, Michigan, if I recall, and, and then to my, to my left, I think, was a CMA guy, Christian Missionary Alliance, and maybe... This was a, a pastor on my right was a Nazarene. 
Well, we were just supposed to share a need and then pray. And, and I think the, Naz the Nazarene pastor said, would you pray for uh, my father-in-law? And he didn't say what to pray for. He simply said, would you pray for my father-in-law? And as we got into this, the Presbyterian from Flint, Michigan, prayed for this, and he got into this, and he said, Lord, I pray for my brother's father-in-law, and I pray that you would bring that man to Christ, and that he would believe, and, and, the, and the unbelief, and, and, and all of that would pass away, and he would find you as his savior. Well, when we were done, I, I turned to the Presbyterian, and I said, would you tell me something? Why did you pray for this Nazarene pastor's father-in-law that he'd be saved? I said, he didn't tell us that his father-in-law wasn't saved. And I said, by the way, is your father-in-law saved? The guy says, well, no, he's not. And I said, does he look like the kind of guy that has unsaved family? Is, is there something about him that's kind of <laughs> ragged looking? Or? I said, why did you assume his father-in-law wasn't saved? And the pastor looked at me and says, I don't know. I just sort of felt he wasn't. I said, do you know what just happened? No. You had a word of knowledge. <laughs> no. I said, yes. He said, I thought it'd be weirder than that. <laughs> he said, that, that was so natural. I said, exactly. Let me tell you something, people. It isn't weirdness. You are already a spirit. God made you in his image. When people get really weird, it's because people are, some people are really weird. <laughs> they, I'm not saying there aren't phenomena that go on when God does things and all of that, but you don't have to get strange to move in the spirit. Because you are a spirit. And so as you begin to listen and follow and move in these things, they are naturally supernatural. It becomes just a beautiful, natural part of your life. This is not something to be afraid of. If you can just take off the, the, the preconceived images of what spirituality ought to look like and simply begin to respond to the things God gives you, you will see amazing things happen. The woman came up to me and she says, do you recall at the two Thursday nights ago, we had a healing service. We're now having healing on the first Thursdays of the month uh, on our prayer meeting. And she said, you had a word of knowledge that someone there had a regular heartbeat. And I, I do remember having that. And, I, and she said, for the last couple of years, I have had tachycardia constantly on and off phone. And she said, my heart races up to about 180 beats a minute. And she said, this has been pretty steady. And she says, since that evening, she says, I have not had one episode. And this was, I think, two or three weeks later. I, what I have observed over the years is that where I've seen the most powerful miracles like that, have almost always come when I responded to a word of knowledge. When I simply pray for you out of principle and good heart, you know, it's helpful and it's nice. But 
Do we often see real miracles? Not too often, you know. But I sure try. Do you know the difference? When somebody says, will you pray for me? Yeah, you know, and you, you go for it and you pray just like you see him do it on TV or whatever, and, and you're, you're giving it all you got. And, and, and indeed, sometimes things happen. But I'm going to just tell you, my history over, over many decades of, of doing this is that when there's been word of knowledge or wh when there's been a, a guidance or something the Lord indicated and I obeyed it, bingo, that is when the real stuff seems to happen. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do. I speak what I hear the Father speak. And he was so tender that everything he did was that. He constantly moved in that relationship. And that's why such power was at work in his life. A, the perfect spirit-led man. The perfect spirit-led man in Christ. So the gift seems to release the flow of other gifts of the spirit. Regular prayer in the spirit seems to sensitize us to the presence of the other gifts. What must I do to receive this gift? This baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, releases to each person the capacity to speak in tongues. Yet experience proves that not everyone who is baptized with the Holy Spirit can easily function in this gift. Some have had a definite experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and have, and, and have seen other gifts and fruitfulness released in their lives, but have not felt able to speak in tongues. Now did you, that's, that's, a, that's a reasonably radical statement. I believe that there are people baptized in the Holy Spirit who see other gifts at work, you, the fruitfulness has been there, the miracle transformation has happened, but you've not been able to speak in tongues. I'm not asking for hands, but I'll bet there's a bunch of you in front of me who would say, I know that I know God came on me, but I don't seem to be able to speak in tongues. I agree, that's what's happened. Some have spoken in tongues only at the time of their initial baptism of the Holy Spirit, but have never or seldom spoken in tongues since. It happened once, but you are not aware of how to move beyond that. Some spoke in tongues under heavy pressure and coaching from others, but aren't really sure they've been truly baptized with the Holy Spirit because they don't sense any dramatic change inside. This is the byproduct of a Pentecostal culture. The Pentecostal theology in America is that if you speak in tongues, you automatically, ipso facto, are baptized in the Spirit. So all we have to do is get you to speak in tongues and it's done. What, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It means this power comes on you. However it comes, the key to the baptism is that you know you've been powerfully touched by God. And so if we sit you in a chair and basically won't let you up till you come out with something. <laughs> they put, you know, you can get hands going on you, and they're going to go, and they mean well. Nobody's trying to do anything wrong, but it's, it's an attitude and it's a theology that has resulted in this. If I can get you to speak in tongues, you are. And so sometimes we even coach you. We tell you to say phrases, starter phrases. One of them is, uh, I say, I should have bought a Honda over, you know. <laughs> I, I should have bought a Honda, should have bought a Honda, should have bought a Honda. <laughs> I, I did not make that up. That is somebody's starter phrase. Or I could have bought a Honda. Should have bought a Honda. Um, and you know, the once we get you to get that out several times, we go, there, he's got it, hallelujah. You know? Well, the next morning you wake up and go, what just happened to me? Was that God? 
because I didn't feel much God in it. I just, those folks pushing me, and yeah, I, I did say something different. I mean, what, what, and the sad part is, I mean, I'm not, who's to say if they did or didn't get baptized in the Spirit, I guess, but, but my goodness, if, you, if, you're, if you're left asking, did the Lord touch me? You've had the preciousness of it stolen. The preciousness isn't that you get some language. The real power of it is that you walk out of that thing knowing that God knows you and loves you and has come upon you and anointed you. That changes your brains. You know what happens? You move from a theology that you believe in God to a relationship where he's in the room. It's not simply, I believe there is a God. It's like, whoa, you're here. That's the change that goes on. And that leaves you changed the rest of your life. It reorients your whole relationship to God. It's wonderful, and we should not be stolen by well-intended people who are trying to get you to do something. They're trying to help you, but they're forcing and pushing something that is very personal and can't be forced. On our Sunday nights where we're having the baptism of the Holy Spirit service, I've been, I've been thinking this through a lot. The theology today in, in the American church is that you don't have to tarry, is the word. The old-fashioned word in the King James is they tarried. In, it's in Acts chapter 2. They, they tarried. And so they, the idea of waiting before God, before the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And theologically, you don't. As I pointed out to you the other day, because you're in Christ, everything in heaven is yours. Now. Already, you've been given everything in Christ. So, we don't. But from our side of the equation, that's where the waiting is. That's where the heart preparation is. We aren't already. It is not easy for some of us to open up, and, and it isn't easy for us to process through. When you really get close to God, it's funny how certain issues of bitterness or old guilts or shames or angers come up. There's, there's this stuff we find blocking our spirit and you have to process through that and yeah and it isn't easy for some of us to get soft in the Lord's presence some of us are just uptight and in control folk and to relax and to let the spirit of the Lord come on us is is very difficult and takes some time so what we've done at these services is to just say we worship and then just say wait on the Lord and when you're ready there's people here to pray for you and we just let people sit and wait in the presence of the Lord and no one, you know, if you don't come up, you don't come, you don't come up. You can just come back time after time until you're ready. The most lovely reports to me, sometimes you'll pray for somebody and, they'll, and I, I don't push them through and I, I'll just say, well, now you just wait on the Lord and when you go home, let's just, just sit before him. And when people come back, sometimes they'll say, oh, pastor, you know, I, I began to, worship the Lord like you told me to on the way home in the car and and before I even got home the power of God came over me and I had to pull to the side of the road and the Lord touched me so beautifully or I woke up in the morning and I began praying in tongues this fellow Carrie that I mentioned earlier that we prayed for Uncle Bob I'd prayed for him to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in his in his uh, room in his uh, not his well, dorm room but the apartment he, he was married his, his wife, Heike, didn't know anything about that. And I remember her coming in 
And he said, pray for me, I want this. And then she's coming in and cooking and trying to figure out what is this guy doing to her husband because she didn't have a clue. So she's banging in pots and, and, li and listening to me in there and really pretty suspicious. And, and, and I, I thought, okay, and I'm, I'm praying for this guy. Well, he didn't get tongues then. He didn't have that. I just prayed and I just said, well, wait on God. The next day, I believe it was the next morning, we, at this Lutheran seminary, we all had, um, we had chapel and there'd be about 400 students and that time it was all men. And they had taken an old gymnasium and turned it into the chapel of this seminary. So the acoustics are incredible in this thing. And Lutherans all can sing. And, and they can sing four parts on anything. They can. It is, it is magnificent. And so there we were in chapel with this roar of the hymns going up and these four parts gone. And Carrie, I don't remember, I think it was a mighty fortress. And we're, and we're on this thing, and he didn't even know, but English was no longer coming out of his mouth. But he suddenly found himself, it was another language that he was singing to this tune, not even, his, not even English anymore. Those kinds of experiences, those kinds of precious moments are the things that change you for life. And that's what we want. That's what we want. Though God supplies the words we speak when we speak in tongues, we remain responsible to do the speaking. Everything, like everything else, speaking in tongues is an act of faith. Though some people are surprised to hear a new language flow out of their mouths at the time they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's it's like Carrie, most have to step out and deliberately speak words they feel rising up from within their spirit. You have to cooperate with it. And remember, we do not concoct strange words in our minds. We release a flow of language that comes from the Holy Spirit. Learning to do this can take time. It seems to flow out of your belly, not out of your head. It seems to simply, it's a flow that just seems to come. It isn't you sit down and, and come up with, invent words in your brains to speak. It isn't that process at all. For some people, it can be very hard to release the control of our speech to the Holy Spirit. The process itself may frighten us with the thought that we're going to be taken over by some strange force. It didn't, I want you to know, even though I had this happen to me and I spoke in tongues in my sleep, I didn't willingly speak in tongues for six years because of, I was frightened. I was just frightened. Or we may find the notion of speaking in tongue, the tongues, we, words we don't know, humiliating. I mean, it feels like baby talk. It's, it's, it's like letting go of your rational being. Or those who have been taught in the past to reject this gift may have, had the, may have the added obstacle of fear that by speaking they'll be yielding to the devil. Some of you have been taught as you grew up this was demonic, and so you're worried that you'll have a devil talk out of your mouth if you open it up. Uh, Pastoral assistance should be sought whenever needed. Now listen, here's the, here's the punchline. But under no circumstances should we fall under condemnation or assume God has rejected us. Say amen. amen. This business of speaking in tongues, if you have not been able to speak in tongues, I do not want you under condemnation and I want you to get it really clear, God has not rejected you. You say, what's the problem then? The problem's on your end of the phone, all right? 
But I say that not to, com to condemn you, but to have you realize it's a matter of you receiving what God has already delighted to give to you. And you haven't been able to receive it yet. And then I also want to add in a certain level, so what? You'll get there. This is not a status symbol. Some of the least sanctified people I've ever met in my life have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You could say amen to that too, couldn't you? I mean, come on. I've seen absolute gangsters who were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It is not sanctification and maturity. And I've seen people who are not, who, who, who walk in a, in a sanctification and a love and a service of others that is exemplary. Haven't you seen that too? All right. So this is not the end all and be all. This is the anointing for New Testament ministry. It's very wonderful and very precious. Speaking in tongues is a wonderful gift, but it is only one of the gifts. It is one I believe it is available for every person baptized, and they hopefully will in time. So a person who is having difficulty doing this should move forward in God with the expectation that someday this gift will be released in them as well. And we're here, and the services will be regular, and as you're ready, then you begin to step into this realm. It is for you. It's there for you. You'll love it. But it's not a status symbol, and it's not a point of condemnation. Amen? Let's all stand. Thank you, Lord. Lord, how much we love your presence. Lord, our congregation, we as a people, in this season right now, are making a choice. And we are choosing to be a revived people. We are choosing to be a New Testament church. We are choosing to move in these foundational truths, the power of the new birth, the glory and loveliness of, of water baptism, the ordination and anointing, the coming of power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We want the gifts of the Spirit released in this body and in our lives. We want to move as you moved, Jesus. We want to do what we see the Father do and speak what we hear the Father speak. We want you to be our head and we want to be your body. Lord, today we choose to be your feet in this community, your hands extended. We choose to be your eyes and full of love to others. We choose to be you, to let you put on flesh, as it were, and walk in our homes and walk in our families and walk in our business places. We choose to have you walk in our schools. We choose to have you enter our community through our lives. We would be full of the Holy Spirit. In this time, this generation, this place, we would have the resurrected Lord walk among us. We want nothing less, and we commit ourselves to grow. We commit ourselves to move forward, to not be passive spectators or nominal religionists. We choose to be spirit-filled, spirit-led men and women and to see the wonders that will take place. Oh, Lord, break our heart. Break our heart for the lost. Those who are facing life without you, those are facing death without you. Oh, heaven, 
How can they bear it? Help us, Lord. Be all that we can be with your power. If you are open to that, otherwise don't say anything. Just hold, your, hold yourself peace a minute. But if you're open to say, Lord, I'll be a New Testament Christian. I will be a man or woman led of the Spirit. I may have some areas that scare me. I have, may have some areas I don't understand. But I know you're a patient and loving Father. And I'm just saying to you, I give you permission to take me forward, to lead me to the next step, to draw me deeper, to release new things in my life. I'm not going to fight you. In fact, I'm going to aggressively pursue it as you show me how to do that. I want to be a New Testament Christian. Would you say amen to him? Amen. Lord, we make that claim. We receive it. And we receive it as a body as well. Not only individually, but we receive it as a people. We choose. We want your presence in all of its loveliness. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in his name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.